morning, Christ Church. John the Baptist was a prophet sent to prepare the way for the Messiah to come, the one who would bring Israel, her promised salvation, the long-awaited one that would come. And John the Baptist was preparing the way. And though John the Baptist baptized with water, he said, this one who's coming would baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit. John's entire vocation was this, to be a forerunner. This was God's calling upon him that he would prepare the way for the Savior of the world that would come to announce that and prepare the way, this Savior that would restore his kingdom on earth. And then the day came. John the Baptist has been out in the desert. He's been calling people to repentance. He's been baptizing people with water. And a day came that we might call the inauguration day of this king and the kingdom that he would serve. And it's safe to say that John was as shocked as we might be uh, at how it began, at who this person was, at what this person was asking. N.T. Wright gives an illustration of the moment that Jesus came out to John the Baptist for this inauguration ceremony. And uh, he tells the story this way. Imagine that we're going to the ACL Fest. He doesn't actually, N.T. Wright does not refer to the ACL Fest. I'm adapting it a little bit. Imagine we're going to the ACL Fest, and there is a huge music scene, people everywhere. It's packed with eager, excited music lovers that are out for it. And we've all made sure that we're at the right bandstand. We got our wristbands. We're waiting for the thunderous music to begin, and we know what it ought to sound like. We know who we're there to see, and we know the sound to expect from this band. And this music would be like music for a battle, music for victory, heavy bass, strong tempo, thunder and lightning and explosions of sound that just transport us. That's what we're expecting. The stage manager comes on stage, and he declares to all of us that this famous musician has arrived. The stage manager's prepared everything for this moment, gets us all on our feet to welcome with an ovation the man who's going to fulfill all of our expectations. And as we stand there eagerly, a small figure comes on the stage, and he doesn't look at all like what we expected. And he's carrying not a guitar to bring the band to life, but a little flute. And as we watch, shocked in silence, he plays. Plays gently and softly, a melody that's quite different from what we had imagined. But as we listen, we begin to hear a familiar notes played but in a different way, in a new way. The music is haunting. The music is fragile. The music is winding its way into our imaginations. It's winding its way into our hopes, but it's transforming them. And as it reaches a close, as though at a signal, the band responds with this new version of the music that we had been expecting all along, but transposed and played in a very different way. Now, take that scene, and let's go back to our text. Listen to John the Baptist in our gospel reading today. John is the stage manager, gets everything ready, prepares the way, and he's getting everybody ready for the one who's going to come, 
the one who will appear as the Redeemer. He's coming, John says. He's more powerful than me. He will give you God's wind and God's fire, not just water. If you've fallen apart, he will put you back together. He'll clear out the mess. He'll make this world right, and he's setting the stage. We're on our feet. We're expecting this great leader, the living God himself. We expect this great leader to come sweeping into the moment, drama, blaze of light, a surge maybe of energy, just transforms everything. That's what we're expecting from John the Baptist in this long-awaited Messiah. And instead, we get Jesus. The Jesus we have met so far in Matthew's gospel, we really only know as a baby with a price on his head. And we get this, a Jesus who comes and stands humbly before John, asking for baptism, sharing in the penitential mood of the rest of Judea and Jerusalem and Galilee, a Jesus who seems to be identifying himself not with a God who sweeps everything away in judgment and cleansing, but with the people who themselves are facing judgment. He identifies himself with them. Those who need to repent, he's identifying himself with them. Shocking turn of events. John, of course, is horrified by this moment. In verse 13 of our reading today, says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter him. John literally sees Jesus coming. Here's what Jesus wants to do, and and instead of like welcoming, welcoming this like big inauguration moment, and here's the Messiah, he says, actually, why don't you stand back a bit? Why don't you not go through with what you're saying you want to go through? He tries to deter him, saying, I need actually to be baptized by you. Let's go about it the way I had in mind. I need to be baptized by you, by you and do you come to me? But John seems to have known that Jesus was the one he was waiting for, but why then would Jesus be coming to John for baptism? What's happened to the agenda that the Messiah was supposed to bring about? What's happened to the wind, the fire, the purifying light and power, the sudden transformation of everything? And as we read on in the Gospels, we find that Jesus is, in fact, the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior who will put things right in the world. But he doesn't go about it the way that people expected. He reveals to us in this moment the heart of God. The way he comes to this inauguration moment is a moment in which the, he gestures towards who God is. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God, Paul tells the church in Colossae. There is no distance, no space, no, no daylight between who God is and who Jesus is. Who we see in Jesus is who God is. What we see in the baptism of Jesus, his inauguration ceremony, is that here, the beginning of his reign, we get this surprising glimpse into the, the king of kings and this kingdom that is being kicked off. Jesus shows the way of humility in this moment. He reveals to us a God that identifies with people in all of their mess 
in all of their need for repentance. He puts himself in our position, and he says, this is what God is like. God identifies with us. He becomes like us. He humbles himself. He demonstrates his humility. This is what God does. Highlighting parts of the passage that display the humble intentions of our Lord might help us through this a little bit. So I'm going I'm to highlight some phrases here that show us the humble intentions of Jesus and how Jesus shows us what God is like just through some of these phrases. The human God displayed in this baptism moment. So the narrator here is Matthew, and let's take the first phrase. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Now, Jesus didn't happen upon John the Baptist. He wasn't in the neighborhood, so I'm going to stop by. He didn't go there intentionally either for the purpose of just finding out what all the buzz was about, the curiosity. He heard that there's stuff happening out there, and I'm going to go check it out. He had a very clear purpose in going. Then Jesus came from Galilee, a long journey that he made, with intention to the Jordan. Why? He came to be baptized by John. This is the very reason he set out from the journey from the very beginning was to go to John to be baptized. Next, John realizes what's happening in the next phrase that we have up here, and do you come to me? John realizes what's happening, and he says those words, and you come, do you come to me? And right here, we have kind of a, a, really a nutshell of the gospel. We can't make our way to God. We can't climb a ladder up to God by some path that's laid out for us. We can't ascend to his presence. We can't make our way in any, we cannot make our way towards God. The only way that our longing to be united with God is that he would come to us. And so we have that language here and John the Baptist saying, and do you come to be? Matthew's already in his gospel identified Jesus as Emmanuel in the birth narrative. God with us, that he comes to us in the incarnation. Next phrase, when John protested, saying, Jesus, you should be baptizing me, Jesus then replies, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. This is what righteousness looks like, and I'm going to show you is what he's saying. Let it be so now. When I read those words, let it be so now, I can't help but to think of his mother's words when an angel visited her and said, you are going to conceive mysteriously, and you are going to carry in your womb a child who will be the Messiah. She hears those words, and what does she say? Let it be to me according to your word. And here Jesus is saying the same thing. When John the Baptist protests his act of humility here, he says, let it be unto me. Let it be so. Next phrase, to fulfill all righteousness this is what righteousness looks like. Jesus, in this act of being baptized by John the Baptist, is showing us righteousness. He identifies with humanity, the humanity he came to redeem, humbling himself, and that's exactly what it looks like to be holy, whole, righteous. The Apostle Paul describes what righteousness is look like, looks like, and he points to Jesus in this downward descent, this going down, going low, 
This is what righteousness looks like. Paul tells the church in Philippi in chapter 2, he says, in your relationships with one another, and this is a word to us, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Have a righteous mindset. Here's what a righteous mindset is. Here's what it looks like. Same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to baptism. It doesn't actually say baptism, it says death. But being obedient to these moments where he goes low. And baptism is one of them, and death is the lowest point. But in this baptism, he is going down into the waters and being buried. We are buried with Christ in our baptism. And we're risen to new life. But there is a death and a burial that's represented in going into the waters of baptism before there's the new life. This is what righteousness looks like. To fulfill all righteousness is what Jesus says as to why he is being baptized by John. So Jesus comes as a servant in humility to reveal the heart of God and to redeem the world. One scholar comments on Jesus' baptism with this description. I'm going to read through this kind of slowly. Um, There's a lot that's just packed in this. The one, Jesus, to whom our mind and heart must turn is a In a gesture of repentance, himself teaches us that gesture by submitting to his own minister. So he does what he is wanting us to do. He's submitting to his own minister. We're submitting to him as the good shepherd in baptism. He who is the living kingdom of God in his own person puts on the penitential garb and recites prayers of contrition For our own sinful flesh, which is now his own. He takes upon our own flesh, sinful flesh. Recites these prayers of contrition. Goes through the acts of baptism. He lays aside his glory on the banks of the Jordan. And for the sake of man, prefers nakedness and the chill of muddy waters in the desert to the adoration of the angelic orders. God's holiness must descend to the level of man if man is to be inflamed by its fire. This is what righteousness looks like. Let's go to the next phrase. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And we're back to the narrator's voice here. He went down, this descent, it's followed by an ascent, and we follow the same thing. We are buried with Christ in baptism, and then we are risen with Christ into new life as new creation. Next thing that happens, Spirit of God descends like a dove, and we have the voice of the narrator again here of Matthew. After he comes up out of the water, immediately, it's like he comes out of the water and he looks up and he sees literally a dove descending. It's the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. I had this thought as I was preparing this, it's never occurred to me that there's a sense of what you've got, you've got God incarnate in Christ, and you've got God, God the Spirit 
in this dove, and it's like God looking at God in, in this kind of creational way. He's looking upon God the man, is looking upon the Holy Spirit coming as a dove. Really uh, beautiful incarnational picture of the God who comes upon us. The dove of peace. If you read through scripture, it's, the dove is, uh, is associated with the peace of God. The mercies of God. You might remember the story of the flood and Noah and the ark and the flood and how, what's the sign that of God's mercies? That they've been out there for 40 days and nights and the waters are burying the earth and there's a dove that comes as a sign of the mercies of God, the peace of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit. There's a dove. And so here again, we have these waters, these Waters that bury our sins. And as we come out of that water, we see a sign. Jesus sees a sign here of the peace of God. A few months ago, this was in May, and I was up here preaching. It was in the first service, and I was talking about the Holy Spirit. And there was a moment where I'm, I'm looking out at you guys. I'm preaching. Those doors are open, and I see coming through those doors a dove literally flies into the room, and it is hovering over you, flying over you. Before you see it, I see it, and I'm, I'm in that moment of like, what do I do? Do I just preach through this? You know, I preach through babies crying. I preach through it. Like, I can preach through No, I can't preach through this. It's coming up over me, and we're all just like watching this dove fly through the room. And at one point, it hits that window, but it's okay. It, it, it did hit the window and fall to the ground, but... <laughs> It gets back up and it's okay. It starts walking like walking around over there by the worship, by the by the music instruments. And then it takes flight. It's okay. And it flies and it's starting to fly. It flies right over these chairs and right here where the clergy and the chalice bearers and acolytes all sit. It flew right over them. And sitting right there was our deacon named Eric Stumberg. And Eric as it flies up, I am not kidding. I wish we had this on film. It flies right over his head and he goes whoosh, and caught it midair. <laughs> Puts his other hand on it and stands up like nothing happened and just calmly, straight face, walks out and releases the dove. <clears throat> I've never experienced anything like that in a service. And um, it was really beautiful. I was talking to him after the service, and, and it, was, it was a really fun and, and a crazy moment, but he was also began to reflect on it and just felt like God was speaking to him something of his belovedness, that he was, he was calling to mind this scene, this text today, and the spirit of the living God in the form of a dove that represents the peace and the mercies of God, and immediately follows that, this next phrase where the father says at the bottom, this is my son. Whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. And it's like Eric heard his father saying those words to him in the context of this experience in a very embodied way. And after the service, he had, I, I ran into him and he was just saying, you know, he, he had experienced that for himself, but then he also had this other layer and he was saying, I felt like that was also something that God was saying to you, speaking about me and to Father Matt, that he wants you guys to know this, that you are beloved. He is so pleased. 
with you. And then he was talking later at home with his son, and they were talking about this whole moment and experience and reflecting on it. And Eric shared some with his son, who's 12 years old, about it. And, um, and he, he asked his son about the dove. And his son said that he sensed he himself, his, his son had this kind of listening to the Lord and having a sense of what it meant. And he, he had the sense that this same blessing came to his mind, but for his son, it was a blessing for all of Christ's church. And I love that. Like, they're from the, from, you know, the phrase, from the mouths of babes. You know, he, he's 12 years old. He's not a babe anymore. But from the mouths of children and the purity of soul and innocence, just to hear the Lord and speak. And I want us to hear that this morning. I want us to hear as a church that you, that God looks upon you and he says, you are my daughter. You really delight me. I love you. I take great joy in you. I'm well pleased. You're my son. I delight in you. You give me great joy. That's his message to us, to the people of, of Christ Church. That's his message to all who come to him. So this scene here of baptism... This is a seal upon our hearts, and all of us who are baptized, we're about to witness a baptism, but also all of us who are baptized, may this be a, a, a morning that we just recall our own, our own baptism, and whether it was as an infant or when we were older, just remember the fact you are the baptized, and that part of the message that you would hear today as the baptized is this message right here from your Father in heaven, you're my daughter, you're my son, whom I love. And I'm delighted with you. May today's baptisms, when we gather out in the courtyard in just a moment, bring that deep into our own souls. Now, this scene of the baptism is paired with the temptation. We don't have time today to go into the whole temptation story, but I want to make a connection between the two and the pairing of these two stories, the immediate sequence of them. The end goal of baptism is, is not conversion, but discipleship. Amen. It's not the end of a conversion process. It's the beginning of a discipleship process. It's a lifelong walking with Jesus, one step at a time, knowing that he is the God who comes, makes long journeys towards us, to be with us in our humanity and especially at the moments of our greatest weakness, and even sin, to be with us when we're at our lowest points in that dip, when we feel like we are buried and dead, to join us there, and then to guide us with him into new life as new creatures, as new creation. We're about to celebrate some baptisms, this new life in Christ, that's what baptisms are, new creation. They are when we also celebrate the fact that we're washed clean by the waters. It's another meaning of baptisms. Jesus forgave your sins. They were all drowned, all your sins, forever. It's another thing that baptism means. Baptism also means you're brought into the family of God. Baptism is like an initiation right into the family of God, the household of God, and that we are brothers and sisters. 
And then lastly, there's a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit, like that dove upon Jesus at each baptism in this sacred moment. There's also this fresh outpouring. So I want to invite that for all of us, that we would have that sense of the Spirit falling upon us. May it be a renewal of our baptismal vows, a renewal of our sense of our belovedness, and that God looks upon you, church, and says, you give me great joy.